This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This is Behind the Rose, where Bachelor Nation meets country music and everything in between. Here's your host, Blake Horseman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Rose podcast. I'm your host, Blake Horseman, here with my buddy, as usual, Eric Bradley. And today, we are actually going to do something a little different. We are going to do a Meet the Team podcast. You kind of get an inside scoop on all the four members of Behind the Rose podcast. And we're going to start off today with somebody you guys probably, well, Denver knows him really well. Those of you that aren't in Denver listening, um, you may not know him, but he is the owner of the Grizzly Rose, Scott Derlin. Thanks for coming on, Scott. You betcha. Thanks for having me. It's good to see what you guys actually do. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as we talk about the Grizzly Rose, yeah, let's bring on the man behind the Grizzly Rose. Yeah, exactly. He is behind the Rose. He yeah, is. exactly. Behind, behind, huh? Behind, behind. <laughs> so Behind the Rose podcast actually started, Eddie, when when did was your first episode really of the original podcast? I want to say 2017. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So 2017 was how long... Technically, the Behind the Rose podcast, we kind of just revamped it and rebranded it, if you will, within the last year. But it really did start on a tour bus behind the Rose with Eddie. So um, Scott, obviously, is a big part of that. So it's kind of cool to see the, yeah, like kind of where the, the podcast started and everything. But we want to sit down with Scott because, like we said, he owns the Grizzly Rose here in Denver. We talk about, like Eric said, every, as much as we possibly can. A lot on podcasts with all the different musicians and stuff. We just had my birthday there, which was a huge success. Uh, a lot of fun. Well, tell me about it. What did you guys do? I was out of town. We did what we normally do with the rose, just kind of get sauced up. and uh, Sauced up, danced. Yeah. I had my pitcher of tequila soda, walking around with my pitcher of tequila soda. We're never overserved there, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish we could have been. Well, we'll probably get into that now. You were probably doing your real job. I'm not sure what my real job is, but yes, I was flying. I, was, uh, <laughs> I, I had to do a San Jose, Costa Rica is where I was that particular day. So you're right. I don't know which one. What is harder, either being an airline pilot or owning the Rose? I don't know which one is your real job here. But yeah, Scott also is an airline pilot for Delta. Which just made national news for saving the best team in the NBA's lives. They are the best team. I and mean, they sent me a whole box of gear, by the way. I was going to say, you have to have season tickets for life by them. Don't have season tickets, <laughs> but I did get literally an entire box full of shirts and jerseys and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. So walk us through that. So those of you that don't know base, how long ago was this, Scott? Like a month? About a month ago. Yeah. Start, start by, for everybody that doesn't know, yes, I'm an airline pilot. And I was actually an airline pilot well before I owned the Grizzly Rose. I got furloughed from Delta in 2004. And that was one of those things that made me decide that I'd better go look for another career because I wasn't sure that I was going to be flying airplanes for the rest of my life because... You know, after September 11th, the airline business was terrible. And so that's what brought me eventually to buying the Grizzly Rose. And I, I started that in the end of 2007, ended up closing on it in, in, in 2009, really. But basically from about 2007 on, I've had the Grizzly Rose. And it was started out as kind of my backup side project. And, and now I think it's my primary job. I don't think that, I mean, I fly full time for sure, but the the rose is definitely the bigger part of my uh, life unfortunately i am gone occasionally when i'm out flying airplanes like i was for your birthday that's kind of interesting though so you kind of bought it as a backup project but now that's become kind of your primary thing right. now, flying is like your side gig so that's kind of cool it's great because when i'm out flying i have something fun to talk about with the other guys i'm flying with and when i'm at the bar 
I have tons to talk about when I'm when I'm talking to my customers and, and friends and, and artists and stuff at the bar too. Let's get into that because one cool story you'll be able to tell for the rest of your life is uh, that that flight where basically, okay, so what was it like? You're flying the Utah Jazz, right? And you hit at the time. What did you think at the time happened? I've, my The airplane I fly is a 757 and 767 for Delta. The NBA owns, I think, nine 757s that they own and they charter through Delta Airlines. So Delta supplies them the pilots, the maintenance, you know, all the ground support, all that kind of stuff. And then they just fly the NBA where they need to be. And then, and then occasionally I think the NBA charters that to the NHL. So we fly usually with those airplanes, we fly the the NBA for charters and we fly the NHL. And so we do it quite a bit. Um, About a month ago, we were taking the Utah Jazz from Salt Lake City, where I was based, to uh, Memphis. They were going to play the Grizzlies. This was about one o'clock in the afternoon. Everything was normal, normal. Last last basketball player got on the airplane and and we shut the doors and took off runway three five and in Salt Lake City. And as we're climbing out, and about uh, four thousand feet above the ground, which is pretty high to hit birds, I saw a flock of what I thought were seagulls. That's what they look like. But I, you know, you only had a split second. You don't have any time. And I said, birds, we both ducked because there were so many of them coming at the, at the windscreen of the airplane. And as I lifted my head back up after ducking and hearing multiple boom, 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 things hit the airplane. I looked at the engine instruments and we'd lost the left engine that fast. It was gone. And the airplane started to shake. And so the other guy was flying and I said, you lost the left one. And I immediately grabbed the mic and told air traffic control that we needed to come back to the airport, that we'd hit birds and we'd lost an engine. And um, we started, we started our turn back around and then getting the airplane configured and, and doing the emergency checklists and all that stuff. The whole flight only took 14 minutes. The scary part about it was that the airplane was shaking like, really bad shaking and that's not normal for an airliner especially a jet i know now why but at that time we didn't have any idea and all all i could think about was sullenberg um and landing in the hudson because that's that's what he did is they they struck bird and they took him in both engines and i was just waiting for that other engine to quit we'd already lost the left engine and i was super concerned that we were going to lose the right one as we were coming back to the airport so we hustled as fast as we could possibly hustle and, and got that airplane turned, got all the checklists done and configured for landing. And every time we configured, we were a little more concerned that something else was wrong because we got hit multiple times. Oh, wow. And so we had no idea what actually happened to the airplane um, and what systems we had lost and so on and so forth. And so as we put the gear down, we put the flaps down for landing we were, we were watching for changes in the way the airplane flew. And all it really did was shake more and more as we slowed down a little bit, which is, was more and more concerning, as you can imagine. So anyway, long story short, um, as we slowed down for landing and, and got lined up, I think we landed at three, on 3-4 three, left back there in Salt Lake City. The fire department was there to meet us. It was a normal landing. And uh, I didn't really think too much of it until we pulled off the runway and the fire department was meeting the airplane. And, and their duty there is to inspect and make sure that we're not on fire and, and that everything's okay so we can taxi to the gate. And the first indication I knew that it was really bad is when I saw the fire 
the, the fireman's eyes, like the fire chief that was out there, his eyes lit up and they're pointing at the, at the airplane. Oh. So I knew we'd done some significant damage. When we finally taxied back to the FBO where we, where we picked up the Jazz, I was the first one off that airplane to go look and see because I was really concerned with what the right engine looked like to see if, you know, how long we had before that thing had quit. Anyway, the, the left engine was literally blown to pieces. Um, there was a hole in the fan, the hole in the fan blades that had to be at least one or two feet. And there was a huge blood spot on the nose of the airplane. Um, looked like we hit a pterodactyl or a cow. I knew we took multiple birds, but I had no idea what they were. So now they've uh, just come back and said that those were not seagulls. Um, they were pelicans. And I looked up to see what size pelicans are, and they're basically 30-pound birds. So it's like we hit a butterball turkey up there. And there was multiple. If the birds would have hit the right engine, you would have just been gliding at that point, right? Yeah, we'd, we'd have been a glider for sure. Because wow. as big as those birds were and what they did to the left engine – um, in, unless they were, you know, unless we took more than one, but you never know. But the beauty of that is you kind of, it makes you more comfortable to fly in a big airliner because it, it literally, that thing got shot out of the sky and made it back to the airport relatively unscathed. Yeah. The players were shaken up because obviously no idea what was going on, but they, they made it back and they, they, they went on and played the Grizzlies that night or the next day, I think. I don't think Donovan Mitchell made that game, though, did he? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. But he did send me a signed jersey. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, wow. Yeah, he did. Keep a hold of that thing. <clears throat> yeah, he. Uh, I, I saw in the news where he just needed a personal day or two <laughs> to uh, to. So he not... basically shit himself yeah, on yeah, the Delta yeah. flight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a crazy story. Because I, I, I can't too, imagine like just a little bit of turbulence. And I freak out. I can't imagine the amount of turbulence that you guys were having, like as a player, like a passenger, not knowing what the fuck's going on. I would have been freaking out, man. Yeah, people, they, they were really glad we saved their life. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, I wasn't saving your life. I was saving mine. <laughs> I'm at the tip of that spear. Ain't that true? That's so true. I, I told my wife when I called her after that, I said, you know, it reminds me of why I still do this. I was the person that I would have wanted up front there. You know, of course, because everybody's a control freak to a certain extent. But it did remind me of why I do it. And, and, you know, we get paid a lot to be airline pilots, but it's not for the hours and hours of boredom. It's for the minutes of sheer terror that happen maybe once in a career. They don't happen very often. Now you got that bar story to tell for a long time at the Grizzly Rose. If it was just passengers, they wouldn't have paid any attention to it. But since it was the jazz, it was a whole different big deal. I mean, like Eric said, it was on national news for a long time. I remember Eric you being know. like, did you see the Utah Jazz plane? I was like, yeah, yeah. like a couple of days ago. He's like, yeah. He's like, Scott was the pilot. I was like, whoa, 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 what? I was like, holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The players said that it actually, when it hit the engine, they saw a big fireball come out of the engine. We didn't get any oh. fire indications in the cockpit. And of course, we can't see. They said it, it literally shot a fireball out the back, which makes sense because there's something in there that interrupts the airflow and then the fuel um, yeah. collects and then burns into a big fireball. But it shut shut it down literally. They call it a flame out immediately. It's just imagine looking out the window and just seeing a fireball yeah. out of the engine. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Whatever you were saying over that intercom. You know, I talked to him on on final and told him, you know, I talked to him on the ground and we'd see him soon. And and it was not a huge deal, but 
we lost an engine and that's why we had two engines. I think it's something like that. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, um, yeah. So that, like, like we always say, anytime if you guys are ever in Denver, go check out the Grizzly Rose. And then also maybe one day, you know, maybe be on Delta flight and Scott will be your pilot yeah. and you'll feel very safe. You'll feel very and safe. Right. And also <laughs> let's, let's talk about what's ahead for the Grizzly Rose. Like I know things are starting to open up and everything. There, there are a few names out on the marquee now we noticed the other night. So yes. um, looks good. When do you feel like the Rose may come back, you know, full, full steam ahead? I think that we're going to be May, about the middle of May. You know, I think we, you and I have talked about it a little bit. The All-Star Games coming to Denver. Mm-hmm. The governor cannot, I hope anyway, cannot keep us at a limited capacity, you know, all summer long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that we should be, no later than the middle of May. And we are starting to book shows just so that we're ahead of the curve, you know, when it comes to everybody getting, getting out there and getting on the road again. So we are actually actively looking to get some shows in there. We've got a lot of making up to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we do. Awesome. Well, uh, we have two other team members because I feel like you guys know Eric, but you really don't know Eric. Honestly, I don't really know a ton about Eric, so I'm going to learn during this interview too. Uh, and then we're going to talk to Eddie too, so we're going to do that right after this. So like I said, this this episode, we're kind of doing a little bit of a meet the team and another person you actually have heard a couple times on the podcast here and there. He likes to to pipe in. And that's Eddie, our, I guess, what would you call you? Our producer, Eddie? Is that what we call you? Producer? I call myself a uh, creator and creator. Um, founder. Founder. founder producer. And- <laughs> He's the amazing voice at the beginning of every episode. That's his voice, guys. That's his voice. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So and, that, and the only reason we changed it from the, the, the woman is because I never got to talk. So he is the, he is the man who believes in no dead air. That's right. So Eddie is about to take this episode over. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to sit back and let this man talk. No, but uh, Eddie's got um, actually an incredible resume. Uh, Like I said, I'll let him talk about everything, but um, been in the business for a minute. He is a legend in the country radio world. You know, better than icon because they're older. (laughs) It's, It's like, it goes seasoned veteran legend icon so you can you can reverse engineer that to find out just how old i really am so So where did you get your start i grew up in oklahoma and i i um worked at the the hometown radio station in shawnee oklahoma uh the only station in town and all my friends were going to college and i i just didn't want to go to college i was done with school. So I kind of made a deal with myself that I would in I would do radio for four years and pretend it was college and see where I ended up. And um, just as I started my fourth year in radio, I got my first program director job. So Damn, which first, is crazy. Yeah. I mean, at, at, four years. <laughs> 22 years old. Uh, and so I just, I, I, I've done radio. I've tried to get out. I, I was a program director in Denver <laughs> at a big radio station in Denver. And then uh, when I left there, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to take that podcast I created with Scott over at the Grizzly Rose. And I'm going to bring Blake in to be the host. And I'm going to be a millionaire in six months. <laughs> and so Almost. then I uh, decided I'd get another job. And so um, I'm a uh, program director of a station in Virginia Beach. So uh, 
I, I figure if I can split my time between uh, Denver and Virginia Beach, that's not a bad uh, yeah. life. We need to come uh, visit you. I know you guys do. Up. We had some great festivals this year. Yeah. We're going to have you come out, maybe DJ, uh, know. you know, on the beach before one of the concerts. We had, uh, I think we had a Dan and Shay uh, on the beach. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's uh, that's my story. That's Boy, your story. I'm, I'm so sad it took four minutes and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about though on my opinion probably <laughs> so if you guys remember back at the beginning of the first few of our episodes there was always this court drawing of uh <laughs> eddie. Yes. this court sketch if you will of eddie and everyone would always ask what yeah. is this i know who, yeah. is, who this? is that who's the creepy dude up in the corner that just is like <laughs> yeah yeah so tell the story about that because that's got to be highlight uh, of your career right i, I don't mean, think anyone's be... probably ever heard of this woman <laughs> yeah. uh yeah i i have the pleasure of being the manager of the guy who grabbed taylor swift's ass <laughs> and there's a fucking resume that's in bold on the resume right there <laughs> i was just looking through some stuff and i found this picture which uh i'll show you guys and um you know nobody else will see but it's me and taylor backstage but wow. you can see right below it the sticker that says exhibit one uh, <laughs> u.s district court <laughs> that, that is exhibit one in the taylor trial and so I, I remember this trial it was like huge news national news insane so let's cut let's reset a little bit yeah so eddie was a key witness in yeah, this well, trial so i was at the concert you know with the radio station and my morning guys were there and uh, I, I was backstage and we had just taken this backstage tour with Taylor's mom, where she shows you all the cool, you know, trap doors and stuff. So Taylor can pop down and change clothes, whatever. Um, so I'm going backstage to meet the opening act. And I can't even remember what the guy's name was. Gosh, I don't remember. So I'm going backstage with a record rep and the, the security guy stops us. And he's like, nobody, nobody's, this is, nobody's back here. So she flashes her laminate, you know, her backstage pass and says, he's with me. He's like, I'm sorry, nobody's allowed back here. And she's like, no, I have an all access. There is no access. Backstage is closed. And we're like, what the hell? So my phone rings and it's the record rep, Taylor's record rep, Chris Lamb, who we all know and uh, is a prankster. And so Lamb says, hey, man. Where are you? I said, I'm backstage. I'm trying to meet Joel Krause. That was his name. That was the guy. I said, I'm trying to meet Joel Krause, and they won't let us back. He's like, we got a problem. He was like, I, 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 your morning guy grabbed Taylor's ass. And I'm like, oh, shut up. Will you come back here and get us back so I can meet Joel? <laughs> He's like, no. So he walks up with, with Taylor's manager. Uh, who I've known forever uh, as well and is is a good friend. And he's got his cell phone and he he has a picture and it's pinched and zoomed in. And he's like, who do you know who this guy is? I said, yeah, it's one of my morning guys. He's been ejected from the venue and banned for life from all Taylor Swift shows. I'm like, what happened? He touched her inappropriately during the meet and greet. And I'm like, oh my God. It really did happen. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know if you've ever met Taylor's head of security, the British dude, the bald British guy. He scares me when he's smiling. And <laughs> he goes out, pulls the guy out of a seat, says, get out. And so now my phone is blowing up from that dude 
saying they just kicked me out of the show. WTF? What's going on? And I've got these guys. And I, I'm, I'm going to need a timeout. So as it turns out, we did uh, some investigating uh, and uh, ended up firing him probably two days after that. Um, oh, had a couple great. of meetings with him, talked to him, got his side of the story and all that. All quiet for almost actually over two years. And then my oh. boss calls me one day and says, well, our uh, buddy has resurfaced and there's a lawsuit. Come down to my office. And I come down and he, instead of suing us, who I thought you know, we were prepared that, that he was going to sue us, he didn't. He sued Taylor. And we're just shaking our head like, who sues Taylor Swift for <laughs> accusing you of grabbing her butt? <laughs> I'm not sure how this works. So, uh, you know, I get deposed. That was, I will share with you guys one day. I, I, it does say confidential and it's a gag order, but uh, they'll never know. And It's over uh, anyway. And I'm joking. I'm not going to show it to you guys, but I totally am. Is the, <laughs> the transcript of my deposition with those guys. Wow. It's We're just, just going to post this to our Instagram page. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> right. It, so I, uh, you know, we, we, I do my deposition all this and we're like, well, what's going to happen? And so they're like, well, I don't know. Then Taylor's attorneys come in again, frighten me when they smile. So he comes in, uh, you know, takes my statement and I said, well, what's going to happen now? He goes, oh, we'll just tell him what we have and they'll drop the case. It's probably, you know, they're probably just trying to money grab, just settle. Well, Quietly, because I know nothing that's going on. I'm just a witness, and I read in people. Uh, I felt like Blake there for a minute when I see my name in people. Um, and um, Taylor countersued him for oh, that's right. I mean, okay. Yeah. So Taylor sued him, and all the money she got was going to go to women's charities and for battered women. Well, they made a motion uh, that to, to dismiss that because they felt like that the jury would find for her so they could help the women. And um, I, I guess I see that. So they yeah. dismissed that and said, Taylor, you can't have that money for charity. So Taylor comes back and countersues him for $1 because there has to be money, Just has to be damages yeah. for it to be a lawsuit. It's a civil suit. So... Uh, I get to go to court with Taylor and uh, it was the most bizarre thing. It was this tiny little courtroom. Uh, there were maybe 20 people, 20 seats in it. And you think that's more than it is, but there's six rows. So that's what, like three people on each side of the room. Uh, so they, they call me in and I walk in and there's freaking Taylor Swift sitting in the front row smiling and I'm like walking in and getting sworn in and everything and it was by Friday uh you know the case started the trial started on a Monday uh, by Friday uh they just made a motion to dismiss yeah. and um they did the the basically but then it had to continue uh, and this is what's unfair is they he sued Taylor Taylor's mom and my friend, who's her manager, and I'm sure he doesn't have Taylor money. I'm guessing maybe. And it was a million. It was like an excess of a million. Uh, but they dismissed all the Taylor 
stuff, but kept those with Taylor's management and it continued to trial. But of course they found in Taylor's favor. So okay, I was like, they had to have found, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and in her company's favor and all that, he got yeah. nothing. And um, so she won uh, the case and got a dollar. And that dollar is a famous dollar in that music. Video. That is a famous dollar in her. Um, she's she's it's in the uh, bathtub scene, right? Yes. The bathtub scene. And look what you made me do. Is that mm -hmm. what the video was? I think so. Yeah. If you look, Taylor is in this bathtub full of like with diamonds, diamonds right? Yep. It's just a bathtub full of diamonds. And there is a single one dollar bill laying right next to her shoulder super savage that is so fucking gangster dude. Savage. i just and i didn't see it and somebody uh somebody screenshotted it and sent it to me said holy yeah, i think i sent that to you yeah fucking mic drop. so subtle but not subtle at all <laughs> that was right. the dollar you got taylor i got dumb. taylor that dollar so um <laughs> but it was crazy i mean i have never been so nervous in my life i mean it's it's like i went outside but you look so natural to the press oh dude well here's what's funny is when i was at the radio station i wasn't allowed to make any comments because it was a personnel issue mm -hmm. we're not allowed to make comments about personnel issues and so i get to the trial and the attorney that was working with the radio station i wasn't working at the station anymore and their attorney was just kind of there to advise me if I had any questions. And he said, uh, as soon as we walked out, uh, oh, it was great, though, but I get up and I walk out and Taylor stands up right in the middle of the aisle and gives me a big hug, says, thank you. And I'm like, is this OK? Does it look like that we're friends? And <laughs> I lied. I mean, is it going to be OK? And then her little brother introduced himself thanked me and her dad. And I was like, this is so cool. So then I walk out, talk about anticlimactic. I've been worrying about this. I'm a Thursday witness. I've been worrying about this all week. And I finally do it. And you know, you just, you drain after that. You're like, oh, I'm done. But then you walk out and unceremoniously, the cop puts you in the hallway and says, thank you. What do I do with my life now? So <laughs> the attorney was walking me out and he said, I'm not going to walk out with you. Um, they're probably going to want to talk to you. No one, everyone before me either worked for the radio station, worked for the record label, were all instructed not to talk to the press. And he, we're walking out. He shakes my hand. He says, you don't have a job. You don't have a boss. You talk to anybody you want to. <laughs> Ooh. They're they're waiting for you, and I walk out, and it's you so ate it up. Well, it was crazy because I'm walking out, and it's you know federal courthouse in in downtown Denver, and they had catering tents set up, these white tents for the for all the media that was there, and I'm, I walk out the door, and I just start walking down the sidewalk, and I am seventy percent to being off the property. And I'm like, nobody even cares about me. And this one woman, really attractive woman, dressed very nicely with perfect hair, which tells me TV woman, is has her iPhone sideways and is just shooting me and walking backwards. And I'm just like, hi, what do I do with my hands? Do I <laughs> smile? And I'm like, she's got to be TV. 
And then a guy walks over, old school newspaper guy. He had that little narrow notepad that they used, the little spiral notepad. Mm -hmm. And he was writing stuff down. He's like, Mr. Haskell, uh, can I ask you a couple of questions? And I stopped. His photographer just started the Blake knows this sound. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, shit, what am I doing? <laughs> Dude, it was like dropping fish food in a fish tank at that point. People were running, tripping over each other to just get... There's a picture. We should we should post yeah, it I on saw, social. I've seen that yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah, with, we can post with it. The, with the E.T. Mike flag in my face. <laughs> yeah, there's like a thousand people around and here. And just everybody gathered around. And then I just held court for 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, did you? You <laughs> yeah. sit, stood there oh, for a minute. Yeah, he oh. just leaned up against the wall. This picture is amazing. <laughs> I, 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 I just leaned up against the wall. I'm like, what else would you like to know? So, it, it, I mean, it was the most bizarre experience and then i i remember i went to a coffee shop in cherry creek because i was just so weirded out and i just scrolled the coverage and you oh. could see it shift at about two o'clock after i finished you could just see my name start trending it's all about me as the witness now mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that is when i saw the world famous courtroom rendering Court of myself <laughs> and i was a it looks nothing like me but b you know what there's nobody else on this show that has a court sketch that isn't in jail right now so yeah, uh, very true very true but i uh, and then the the freakiest thing and this really uh freaked me out more than it should uh that night i got home about i guess it was about eight i mean i literally just sat there going i i, I i've got this adrenaline going so i get home and i get my mail and there's a handwritten uh, piece of paper. And it says, Mr. Haskell, I am with like the Melbourne News Agency in, in Australia. And I'm here covering the Taylor Swift trial. And I would love to talk to you at my house. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. In my mailbox, Dropped not up. in an envelope. And I'm right. like, he knows where I live. I bet the guy that grabbed Taylor Swift's butt knows where I live <laughs> and he's going to kill me tonight in my sleep. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. And so I really thought I was going to die that night and I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it's not saving an NBA team uh, as a pilot, <laughs> but I also have my story. It was bigger news. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, right? I mean, how long were you in the news cycle? You know, yeah. a few days. Yeah, and it was a few days by a lot. So I, um, when I came to work here, it's so funny because people will never say anything. And I've got this new staff. And then I'll say something about, well, blah, 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 Taylor Swift. And they're like, oh, my God, I wanted to ask you about that. So, and then it's a half hour conversation at that point. But uh, I was going to say, well, if uh, if you're so close to Taylor, if you want to maybe throw in a word on Behind yeah. Those Podcast, get her on here. I we'd like we'd really appreciate you, right? that. Yeah, we'd really I, appreciate that. I mean, you could text her mom, her brother, manager, yeah. and her. She played the Rose two nights when she was seven. I think I gave you a ticket stub from that somehow. It was a $10 ticket. That's wild. Yeah. I saw the picture actually this weekend again I, uh, by the bathroom. I always walk by and I'm like, oh my God, that's like Taylor at like 16 or whenever it was. Yeah. Everybody has played the Grizzly Rose. Oh, that's insane. We're going to get her on. There's our next. Uh, we're going to get her on <laughs> eventually. I, uh, maybe I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, hey, remember when I helped you out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you maybe just hop on for a little bit? Just a little segment. Just I think my little. favorite part of all that was the glasses that you wore, <laughs> looking so cool. Was some Eric Paslay promo glasses. Everybody was like, "Dude, you looked 
fire with your Ray-Bans. I'm like, dude, those aren't Ray-Bans. They, uh, Eric Pasley, who we had on the original podcast, Eric Pasley had these Ray-Ban knockoffs. And uh, he had a song called High Class. And on one side, it said Eric Pasley. The other side, it says High Class. Everybody would be like, Pretty dude, dope, look at you with your Ray-Bans. I was like, are you kidding me with Ray-Bans? Those, I have, these came in a plastic bag to the radio <laughs> station. And I stole my music directors too, so I'd have an extra pair. We'll have to throw up the picture of you with all the mics around you and your uh, court sketch again. We'll throw that up on uh, the yeah. social when uh, this drops. Yeah. It, was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a day. It so. was. Cool. And now we have one last member of the team, Eric Bradley, the most mysterious of everybody on the team. Your buddy, your buddy, Eric. Yeah, no, you do. You do. You I'm just a lot of stuff. I, I have nothing like these last two. This is going to be really well, hard to well, fucking follow up here. I feel like you do. You just can't talk about most of the stories that you No, have. I cannot. Definitely Yeah, cannot. but we'll, we'll, we'll get to you. We'll talk about Eric right after this. All right, so the fourth and final uh, member of the team, Eric Bradley, my buddy, as I say, my buddy Eric Bradley. Um, honestly, I get asked all the time, like, just questions about Eric, like, where does he come from? Where, what is he? How did he get started in this industry? And honestly, most of the time, I just say, oh, you're gonna have to ask him because but nobody. You've been knows. around since, since yeah, a very long time. I remember the first time, uh, not the first time, but I brought Eric to a bunch of Grizzly Rose shows. Fun fact: Eric never listened to country music. Still kind of don't. Right. And <laughs> until we met and I took him to a couple of shows and he's like, this is pretty cool. These people are already really cool. So I was taking him to Grizzly Rose with me all the time. And Scott's like, who's this dude? I was like, that's ah, my, it's my friend, Eric. And he's like, what does he do? I'm like, I, I don't know. It's complicated. Scott still doesn't know. Yeah. Scott, Scott still doesn't. <laughs> all Scott knows is when you bring Blake or one of your bachelor buddies to the Rose, people flock around you. He's like, Oh, I know what he does now. Okay, I got it. I got yeah. it. Eric, if people were to ask you what you do, what would you say? Well, I don't know how to answer that anymore. It, it's just kind of snowballed into like, I have no idea what I do yeah. even anymore. But like, I was naturally like a sports marketing agent that worked with like NFL talent and NBA and just, you know, sport, just pro athletes booking marketing deals for them. You know, radio, TV endorsements, public, private appearances, autograph signings, all that stuff. So that, I mean, that, that's what I do by nature. And then that kind of transitioned into like, you know, working with, you know, bachelor world talent and trying to bring that element of pro sports to the country world, bringing them endorsement deals, like mainstream, like revenue streams, mm -hmm. like what we do with athletes. So who was the first athlete you worked with? Yeah. Terrell Davis. Actually. And how old were you? I like 15 Is at the time. Up. Yeah. yeah. How'd that happen? What'd you do? Uh, <laughs> shit, I'm going to, this is going to be weird. So <laughs> I used to, before it was a big thing, we used to get autographs and like sell them when we were kids, like me and a yeah. couple of high school buddies. And the places that we were, you know, selling them to back then were like, hey, you have access to these guys. See if, you know, TD will sign, you know, 300 items for $1,000. And at that time, Terrell Davis was, wasn't even on the football field yet. He had made a big tackle in his first ever game. And then he had like a couple big rushes, like, let's just see if we can get him. So I offered it to him and he did it in the back of his like Ford Bronco and just signed it right there at the Valley. And so that's kind of how it, and then it's turned into like trading appearances for like T-Mobile cell phones or voice stream cell phones back then. 
because like back then cellular service was expensive as hell yeah so these guys are trying to get two or three phones you know locker room phones because you know you got your main one family one side pieces so like <laughs> you know <laughs> so oh, you, yeah. had the, oh, yeah. you had the next tell chirps and the sidekicks back then and the, like they weren't cheap so they would they would trade like autograph appearances like at the stores for free free service for like a year and then yeah wow, then yeah. it just kind of snowballed and you know, I would do a lot for local guys and then, you know, the original guys I'd work for or work with would go to go on to like other teams and other markets. And I just kind of built it as it went. And my name just always stuck in locker rooms. When I met you, I met you because we get asked that a lot. So I met Eric about three years ago. Colton Underwood yeah. introduced me and we just kind of hit up. First of all, we're like the only single people like around. So like yeah. we would always every Friday, Saturday night, we'd hit each other. up like, what are you doing? And as Eddie and Scott know, or like any artist that has ever been on our show who I'm friends with I always go to the show by myself I never want to like babysit or be in charge of like oh god I don't know if I could trust it because it's a different world when you're backstage like you're actually in the artist like that's their home like that's their comfort zone and safe zone so it's like when I first met Blake you know I knew Blake was a massive country fan I was like mm-hmm started bringing Blake around. I was like, yo, you're, you want to come to these shows with me? I think our first show was Jared Neiman at the Rose. Yeah, at the Rose. Yeah, Speaking Jared of Neiman. which, Jared Neiman, former house band of the Grizzly Rose, which a lot yeah. of people don't know. Yeah. Everyone always thinks that like I'm Blake's plus one, but definitely. No, it's the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> Blake is my plus one at every country show, especially <laughs> Stagecoach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's funny about Eric is Eddie started bringing him around and I never could figure out who the hell he was or what he was doing. But pretty soon he knew more artists and managers and then Eddie and I combined. Yeah, the bullshit is I would I I took Eric to his first country show and then fast forward a year and I'm out in the audience and I see Eric on stage at the soundboard. And I'm like, dude, how'd you get there? Oh, well, yeah, the tour manager. Yeah. I'm like, well, how'd you meet him? Oh, last time when you brought me, I just, I chatted with him. And, uh, and it, it's in radio, there were two country stations in Denver. And so they could never give me anything because the other guys would get pissed. So Eric, there is no competitor yeah. for yeah, Eric. So, true, yeah. so it's like, yeah, come on, brother. And so. Well, it was before like a year later. It was like a month later when we're at Sam Hunt and Michael Ray at like the Ogden. It was probably the smallest venue oh, Sam Hunt will ever do. This stings. This story stings. So I was at that in the stand, <laughs> in the stands. Yeah, yeah, I Blake, was in the crowd at that concert, bro. Blake didn't know either. I of didn't know either of you. I was in the crowd at three the or four years before Blake was on the show. Yeah, this right. was 2015, maybe 2016. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so go ahead, Eric. Revel in it. Well, I, I think you tell it better because you were the one uh, waiting in the alley, and uh, I was like, oh, he's with me. Because I had the Sam Hunt graffiti tour all access badge. Yeah. So the record label is like, your tickets will be at front of house. So I go to front of, you know, the, the box office and I'm like, hi, I have some passes here for Michael Ray. And they're like, mm, I don't have anything for you. I was like, all right. So I'm, I'm in the alley on the phone trying to call the record label and say, hey, there, my passes aren't here. Eric is standing in the doorway and says, uh, he's with me. <laughs> and they walk my ass right in like I'm a VIP. <laughs> that's so, that so typical. 
Dude, Eric, I remember the first time I really, well, the very, the big cons, actually, I think even before Jared Neiman, maybe it was you, me, Jason and Colton. We went to Kenny Chesney at my high. And I remember still at that point, you'd gotten any Grizzly Rose and everything, but I was still like, you know, we were still like feeling each other. I was like, I don't know. Is Eric all talk or is he not? Hell this no, is a not. fucking like, stadium show with 75,000 people. We're backstage hugging Thomas Red, fucking drinking beer with Kenny Chesney. I was like, what is happening? Who is this guy? I was like, I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, yeah, keep this guy in my life for a long time. It's basically, yeah. excited. Blake really used me. <laughs> uh, now we've got a podcast, you know, we've made him a fucking DJ. Fucking We're about DJ. to, in like the country Opening relationships. Let me, let me <laughs> tell you what, what a salesman Eric is. I've got this podcast. I've done 21 episodes. I have poured my blood, sweat, and tears into being at the Grizzly Rose, every, you know, on Fridays at 3 p.m. So and can, he would get pissed off because there was no parking spot for him at the right, Grizzly Rose. Right. They, I, I can't even get, I can't even get a damn parking space at the Grizzly Rose. I, I got to park a block away. I got to go wait outside. They, you know, they do not, it is not glamour. You know, it's, it's, so I'm standing outside the bus. No, I'm supposed to be here. I do a podcast called Behind the Rose. It's the official Grizzly Rose podcast. Technically, I work here. And so I'm standing outside the bus. Like, oh, he'll see you now. So I do this and I got to go home. I edit it. I do that. I, 21 episodes, I do that. And, and I remember the day Eric kept saying, man, I want to get Blake involved with this thing. I think it would be great. Blake loves country music. It's Bachelor Nation. We marry the two. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Because yeah, sure. that behind the rose had two meanings for me. Which I didn't know. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> we had talked for, I, I kid you not, six months. And one, I remember it was a Thanksgiving weekend. I remember I was on the phone with Eric and I was like, oh, dude. Mind you, never watched a Bachelor episode in my life. Still hasn't. And I said, wait, don't they give a rose at the end of the show? Oh, my God. So behind the rose could be behind the grizzly <laughs> rose, but it also could be stories behind the rose. At, and he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's why I asked you in the first place. So for six months, I'm just dicking around going, I don't know, maybe I don't get where Blake fits in. And so anyway, to my point about what a great salesman Eric is, he gets this whole thing sold to me. And somehow I'm not even on the fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> now it's now it's the Blake Horstman hour. So, yeah. With his buddy Eric. How did that happen? Not with did that founder, happen? Not with co-founder of the podcast, Eddie Haskell. Oh, hell no. It's my buddy Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's funny. Hey. Yep. Uh, and now here we are. Here we are now. Yeah. We've got to sum up his career. He's a salesman extraordinaire. I just make shit happen. Yeah, I like his marketing statement. I make shit happen. I just, yeah, I just make Literally, shit happen. I, you guys, I didn't even know how to dj a year and a half ago and now eric's got me opening up for cascade here in three months so that's that's basically <laughs> and hopefully we'll be on tour with a couple artists coming up here yeah soon. we'll be we got a lot we got there's, a big there's year a lot, coming there's a lot of things in the works coming a lot up. of things in the works it's gonna be a fun year the most wild thing is like going back to the, you know and i'm so grateful and thankful for like you know eddie and scott like the country relationships that i've built I would have never have guessed like this is where it would have taken us or me or just the idea of just like, I, I'm just a networker. Like I don't know I'm networking, but I'll always meet people in a relationships. Like relationships are key mm -hmm. to everything. 
building organic relationships and just to think like the people who we have talked to and built relationships with, I'm saying relationships a hell of a lot right now, but, but to think that that's, that's gotten us to possibly being on tour with like country artists. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me. It's like yeah, every day I still can't even believe this is like happening. And we talk with the top artists in the world on this podcast and there's a lot more to come. And to wrap up this very special episode <laughs> to tell you everything you need to know about Eric, our guest backed out and he's like, fuck it. Let's just talk to each other. <laughs> that is a guy who makes shit happen. That's right. You know, no, this is a perfect time for this episode because I think a lot of people do are wondering, we got a decent amount of loyal followers now and loyal listeners. And they're like, who is everybody? Yeah. You know, so it's perfect. Yeah. So now, you know, the team. And as we saw today on the bachelor scoop posed a question about uh, who should replace Rachel Lindsay on Becca, what, what bachelor happy hour. And everyone said Blake. So maybe this is the last time we'll be hearing from Blake on behind the rose. <laughs> yeah. Right. The show would never have me on their official podcast. God, no, they don't even watch you on paradise. Yeah. They would, they, they would, they would, they would fucking, Oh God. Yeah. Right. I'd way too honest about the show. Let's poach Becca and bring her over here. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, she's got a good gig. Up and then, there, then so. it'll be Blake, Becca and their buddy. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, guys. Well, yeah, that's the team. So we'll do some check-ins too with everybody as we go along and stuff because we got some big things coming. But now you're going to Mexico. Yeah, we are leaving to Mexico here in next weekend. Ben Higgins bachelor party next week. That's be fun. I'm a, I'm just gonna tease it. Like I'm just I just can't wait to see Nick Vial and Blake Horseman in the same room together. Yeah, we'll just fist fight. No big deal. We'll just have a couple of fist fights. Probably. I'm bringing boxing gloves. We're gonna get this. <laughs> the Horseman Files. We're gonna have a lot yeah. to talk the about. The Horseman <laughs> Files. <laughs> Shots fired by Eddie. Holy shit. Uh, that's great. Good night, uh, cool. everybody. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to follow our Instagram at Behind the Rose Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, like, and give us all five of those damn stars. Behind the Rose is recorded on site at the world famous Grizzly Rose or wherever we happen to be. See you next time, Behind the Rose. <laughs>